This morning I wanted to talk about <clears throat> and explore together the themes of uh, generosity and gratitude. I think partly to be in rhythm after having spent the last few sessions here uh, looking at our practice in relationship to both, both pre- and post-election. And I think that, of course, those themes and the emotions and the thoughts and anticipations that have come up for different people are certainly there and um, still very much present. But I thought to focus on these themes uh, in significant part in relationship to this holiday uh, that we call Thanksgiving, uh, which is tomorrow, I thought could be helpful. And I wanted to first talk about this relationship between generosity and gratitude. There's a close relationship. Um, This is from Zen teacher Steve Stuckey. He said, The spirit of giving is based on a feeling of gratitude, of being deeply thankful for the ability to give and to receive, to be freely willing to participate in the reciprocal turning of life energy. And again, I think it's, it's very helpful both to tune into these qualities and to have them be stronger. I'm also appreciative. I had a minor medical procedure yesterday, and um, people were so kind, you know, and very, very... Uh, helpful, generous, just offering what's necessary, and and we we often find that. So, how to understand generosity and gratitude, both in the uh, in terms of individual practice and in terms of terms of larger uh, cultural themes of developing it stronger in our smaller cultures and our larger cultures. <clears throat> Essentially. To move from uh, to practice generosity and gratitude is to move from self-centeredness and from the kind of greed that's connected with that, and to move more towards a quality of having of uh, generosity, having a sense that things keep moving, that things keep moving, much like the indigenous sense of the uh, the gift that keeps moving. And it's, uh, I think it's important to have some indigenous reference points at this time of Thanksgiving, partly because sometimes Thanksgiving has been framed you know, in terms of uh, problematic historical stories, right, of the pilgrims and so forth, and um, not really identifying the dimensions of uh, genocide and so forth. Um, actually, from my research, Thanksgiving is a long-standing practice and holiday that's existed in many, many cultures for hundreds, perhaps thousands of years. And in fact, in the U.S., it was actually uh, started as a national holiday by Abraham Lincoln. It was a local holiday before that in different states. It was, I think, primarily related to the harvest and to, and to general just having a day for, for giving thanks and 
I appreciate it, even, even though there's some, as it were, historical shadow material. Uh, it, is, it is one of our more non-commercial holidays, and it's a time often for people to connect and to, uh, to share and stop working so much and so forth. So, <clears throat> and so what, I'm, what I hope to invite today is to invite, perhaps you might take on the practices, at least for the next week, of generosity and gratitude in different ways. And see, I'm going to be talking some about the qualities and specifying very specific practices that we might take on in relationship to both generosity and gratitude. <clears throat> and it's interesting when, when you reflect on, when we reflect on core Buddhist teachings, the um, practice is designed to transform greed, hatred, and delusion. And it's interesting and when we reflect on that, and it's designed to transform greed into generosity. And generosity is a main practice that can counter greed. It's designed to transform aversion and even hatred into kindness and compassion and connection. And even a sense of gratitude. And gratitude can be a main practice that cuts through um, resentment and polarization. And similarly, the, the last area that is to be transformed is that of delusion. It's not seeing ourselves clearly. I think in many ways, generosity and gratitude point towards interconnection, reality of interconnection, and the wisdom of letting go. And so just in generosity and gratitude, we have um, very powerful practices that we probably underrate in many ways in terms of their power. Even though in the Asian Buddhist traditions, generosity was right at the beginning of the teachings. And generosity wasn't primarily interpreted economically. It was interpreted more in the sense of uh, giving of one's life and one's life energy. It's much like there's a... Let me see where this is. There's a, a line from a poem by Walt Whitman. He says, Behold, I do not give lectures or a little charity. When I give, I give myself. Uh, and presumably giving oneself is a good thing. <laughs> and I think giving of Walt Whitman was a good thing. You know, but, but it's that sense of we give of our, uh, our deeper nature. And, and that is a, uh, a really fundamental sense of generosity. <clears throat> and I, w- I think it's something that's very much innate. I think we actually get conditioned out of our original sense of generosity in many ways. Children before they're conditioned in certain ways, can be very generous. I remember myself, a story my mom told me, which was that uh, when my brother was born, about a little over two years after me, and he was in the crib, and I must have been, you know, two and a half or three or something, and I, I gave him my red rubber fire truck and put it in the crib. 
And my mother was both appreciative of the generosity and a little bit horrified because I was really, really dirty <laughs> and grungy and who knows what it had been in. And yet I took it and put it in the crib because my brother didn't have a toy and he needed one, right? So there's something that I think is very much deep in our spirit and our, our conditioning kind of um, trains us right, to think of ourselves as individual, separate, needing to accumulate for ourselves, right? We all have that conditioning, right? And, and how do we see that conditioning and work with it and transform it? And that's what these practices are about for, for generosity and gratitude. And the theme of generosity is found in, really, in virtually all traditions, everyone that I've looked into. You know, it's found uh, in the world religions you can find in uh, Jewish tradition there's the concept of sedika, uh sometimes translated as charity and it's said that the roots of the word for generosity and giving are related to the words for justice righteousness and fairness so that generosity is linked to that sense of everyone having enough right? so it's interesting right it's not you know, in other cultures, it's not always this individual action, but it's related to the very concept of justice. <clears throat> and in, in Christian tradition, the word for uh, that comes to be translated as charity is uh, uh, charitas, and it actually is the Latin translation of the word for unconditional love. So the roots of the sense of generosity in Christian tradition have to do with, with deep unconditional love and it's said to be the love that one has for God and that is best expressed through kindness and generosity and love for one's fellow beings. In Islamic tradition, uh, generosity, or what, what we translate as generosity, the, the term is zakat, is one of the five pillars of Islamic practice. What's, what's very basic. And it's viewed, it's viewed as an obligation that everyone uh, who has something should be willing to offer to those who have less. And it's taken, that particular practice is taken as a kind of purification practice aiming at the transformation of greed. <clears throat> You know, very fundamental practice in uh, indigenous traditions uh, is the practice of generosity. Um, from, from an East African proverb, you can share even if you have a little. This is from uh, Desmond Tutu talking about Ubuntu. Some of you know that term. And I think it's used in uh, Kwanzaa. Um, he says, in the African understanding of Ubuntu... Our humility and generosity come from realizing that we could not be alive, nor could we accomplish anything without the support, love, and generosity of all the people who have helped us because the, to become the people we are today. And of course, it's you know, very fundamental in Native American tradition, in the uh, indigenous traditions of North America, um, 
think I've, I've talked from time to time about being invited to a potlatch ceremony in British Columbia, where I was for a week. And the ceremony uh, of the potlatch, which the Christian missionaries did not like, they, it's a gift-giving ceremony. And the Christian missionaries said people were showing off too much to show who could give more. And so, believe it or not, the uh, potlatch ceremony in Canada was banned officially by the government from around 1880 to 1951. Crazy, right? It's crazy. And uh, I was invited to one, and um, I, mean, I, I loved it. I was, it, was, it was in a community uh, about 14 hours travel north of Vancouver <laughs> uh, on an island called Bella Bella. Any, anyone been there? And... Um, I was there for a week, and the, the ceremony was three days, and it started, would start about three in the afternoon, and would go to about three or four in the morning. And pretty much, most of it was just giving gifts away. I received gifts, that was cool. And, and um, it was, uh, all sorts of gifts were given. A lot of it was about interconnection. You know, there were also were ceremonies where people adopted each other, and it also had to do with the recognition of, of sometimes of leadership and so forth, but uh, very powerful, you know. And again, the sense of generosity is very much connected with uh, a sense of interconnection. And again, I think we, we know with the conditioning in our culture, we have this heightened individualism, and we've lost that. You know, and even maybe more extreme in the United States, I think that when they've when they've done studies of the amount of giving, for example, to poor countries in the world, uh, you know, I mean, the data is pretty clear. Uh, I think someone in North, the average citizen in Norway, some of this is through the government, I think, the average citizen in Norway per capita gives 70 times as much as the average citizen in in the United States to poorer countries in the world. It's pretty sobering, isn't it? Right? And so I think we do have a lot of conditioning personally and culturally in relation to this. <clears throat> and yet I think, I, I think I would really maintain and that this generosity and gratitude is part of our deep nature. The conditioning covers it over. You know, and we, many of you probably have seen in crises at times where people are very generous. How many, how many of you can reflect whether it's a community crisis or something of a larger scale? Think of New York after, after 9-11, right? That people can be very generous. I've seen this many times. How many of you have seen something like this where in times of need? Well, that's, I would take that to be direct information about our nature. When... When there's a need, I think we're, we actually respond. When we're caught in our conditioning, not as much, right? <clears throat> in the Buddhist tradition, as I mentioned, generosity, and again, we know that the word is dana, uh, generosity is at the top of the list of qualities that we train in. 
And actually, in the <clears throat> traditional Buddhist uh, curriculum, as it were, it's near the beginning. It's something which really, uh, to use a Thanksgiving metaphor, sets the table for other qualities, for what is to come later. That generosity sort of uh, works with conditioning, works with our nature, and that makes us then more able at later stages to go into the deeper practices and teachings of meditation and, and wisdom. And it's very central. In the uh, teachings about the uh, Buddha's past lives, the Buddha often gave very generously, even to the point in his past lives and some of the stories, often which are read to children, of, of giving his own life. And there are stories of um, the Buddha donating his body for a starving tiger. Some of you may have heard of that story. And of being willing to offer his own life to help others. You know?
Okay. How are we now? Okay. <laughs> okay. How was the gratitude practice? It was a little bit brief. <laughs> we'll come back to that. <laughs> okay. So, see, um, I think part of the point that I'll be suggesting is that these are really good on-the-spot practices, <laughs> generosity and gratitude, and we can have them in our repertoire for certain moments. Um, I'll come back to this, but one of my favorite generosity practices, something I've taken on in the last six or nine months, has been uh, on-the-spot generosity practice while driving. So I've taken as a vow to uh, practice generosity in driving, which, as you can imagine, has many possible interpretations. You know, and especially, oh, that driver must be in a hurry. That driver just cut me off. Oh, yes. You know, I might, you know, at certain moments, I might combine generosity practice with the horn. <laughs> and I noticed I've been, I've been slipping in my generosity driving practice lately, so this is a good reminder to myself to talk about it. So we'll come back to some concrete practices. So um, um, wonderful reading from probably 1,500 years ago about the one who is dedicated to developing generosity, the bodhisattva. When the great person gives an external object, that person gives whatever is needed to whoever stands in need of it. Knowing by oneself that someone is in need of something, one gives it even unasked, much more when asked. One gives sufficiently, not insufficiently, when there is something to be given. One does not give because one expects something in return. And when there is not enough to give sufficiently, one distributes evenly whatever can be shared. But one does not give things that issue an affliction for others, such as weapons, poisons, and intoxicants. Nor does one give amusements which are harmful and lead to negligence. And one does not give unsuitable food or drink to a person who is sick, even if that person asks for it, and does not give what is suitable beyond the proper measure. So you can hear in that reading that actually it's a, it can be a complicated practice, right? To know what is appropriate. You could hear in that a number of possible, what, uh, distortions or issues in the practice of generosity. And in the tradition, there's quite a bit of focus on that. I'll mention, the, I'll mention a few of them. That, uh, for one thing, it's often said that one does not give if that is harmful to oneself, Right? One gives, and it's very much an emphasis on the motivation. What is the motivation in giving? So when we're doing generosity practice, a lot of this is looking into what the motivation is when we give or when we don't give. It's also partly inviting us to see when there's greed. The other side of generosity practice is studying when greed arises in our being or when greed or clinging or lack of let it go is there. So the invitation to practice is not just to be generous, but it's to see what stands in the way of generosity. And then I, I think uh, often of that class that I, I sometimes bring up that I taught with Diana Winston, where we, ta where we uh, taught this class on greed management 
Some of you, any of you remember me talking about that? I, sometimes I like to talk about it. You know, so we, talk, we advertised this class on greed management. We were really excited to offer it. And we had extremely low enrollment. <laughs> you know, like we had five uh, people register and we had two teachers. <laughs> but, you know, we didn't really care because we wanted to investigate it. And so we, we, we investigated greed, and it was really helpful to actually spend time looking carefully into the nature of greed. I hadn't done that before. To, say, to really study greed when it arises, see what its dynamic is, what are the thoughts, what's it like when we, when we experience this. And what I found is that it had certain qualities that... Um, when I was greedy or when we looked at greed, there was a very narrow focus on what I want or on what I perceived as my needs, extremely narrow. So there was a kind of extreme uh, self-centeredness when there was greed present. And uh, there was a lack of attention to other people's needs. Uh, I was focused on my needs, so... Typically, very short-term focus. Uh, A lack of sense of connection to other people when greed is there. Um, Often, or typically, not being aware of consequences. When there's greed, it's me right now. I don't care what happens. I'm not even thinking about it. It's not like I don't care. I just am not thinking about it. And... Sometimes when we looked at the greed, there was a sense when we, when we actually brought mindfulness to it of being out of control or out of balance in the midst of the greed. Um, sometimes there was a sense of entitlement, like I deserve this, even though I'm not being aware of others. Right? And of course, again, that greed is strong in many ways in our society. You know, I, I, I like to cite that uh, clipping I found, I think, in the San Francisco Chronicle at a time when the stock market was having a hard time, and a trader on the floor said, we have two kinds of cycles here. We have greed cycles, and we have fear cycles. We are now in a fear cycle. Well, that was interesting, but it was like, what's the, happening the rest of the time? You know, that's, a, that's scary, right? You know, and again, there's one, one quotation, but... Uh, um, greed is not only an individual issue, as we know very well. So <clears throat> we, look into, we look into greed, we look into ways to be generous. We look into the motivation for giving. We look into the appropriateness of giving. We, um, <clears throat> we look into um, whether we're giving with some regrets, whether we're giving fully, you know, in the, in, the traditional, in the traditional text. We look into what we're giving. We also can look into the feeling when we are generous. And there's said to be rewards of, of giving. This is from, again, from, from a very ancient text. There are five rewards of generosity. One is dear and appealing to people at large when one is a seen as, a, understood as a generous person. One is admired by good people. 
One's good name is spread about. One, one does not stray from the rightful duties of one, oneself as a householder. And with the breakup of the body at death, one reappears in a good destination in the heavenly worlds. As if the other four weren't good enough. <clears throat> so, how to practice? You know, what are some practices and ways to work with generosity? So, I, I was hinting at some of the ways in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of uh, uh, driving as a practice of generosity. We could also uh, do, take some other area of our life and say, I want to be generous here. I want to be generous in driving. I want to be generous uh, in this part of my life. I want to be generous at work. I want to be generous with my family, with people close to me. You could take on something like that. You could uh, take it on as an action. Um, I want to do one act of generosity every day. That could be a practice. I want to be generous towards people in need and in some way do that every day. That could be a practice that you take on. And my invitation is to take on some generosity practice in the next, in the next week and then consider doing it further. Right? Again, what goes along with these positive actions are the uh, practices of mindfulness, seeing what's there, seeing what gets in the way of, of generosity, of action. You could... You could have a practice like I've sometimes done, always carry food with me and give it out on the street to people in need. You, know, you might also do the same with money. You know, that can bring up some issues you know, in terms of what people use the money for, but you can, you can look into that. Right? So you can bring money and give it away. Some people um, have taken a practice for a week where they had the funds of finding ways to give away $20 every day. You can experiment with that. They've done, they've done some um, research, and they showed that uh, um, they gave uh, two groups of people, I think, $50. <clears throat> One group, they said, do something nice for yourself. The other group, they said, give it away. And then at the end of that experiment, after they had done something with the money, they had some measures of general satisfaction and happiness, and the people who gave away the money were much happier. Maybe you've heard about that research. That, that giving actually brings the, those, those qualities. <clears throat> so a few words also about gratitude. Again, I think gratitude is very much related to generosity, that we have a sense of having received and we can have gratitude for that. And on the basis of the gratitude, we may continue the cycles of giving. And so these, again, gratitude is, can be a practice that's, that's developed. You know, I, I have, at times I've done a simple practice of remembering what I'm grateful for and taking 10 minutes a day to... Just connect with gratitude. It can be a very, it's a very simple, beautiful practice which deepens that quality in oneself. I, I, uh, I do a different practice now where four times a day 
I have a kind of vow which I say to myself, which includes just taking maybe 15 or 20 seconds to think of one thing I'm grateful for on the spot, right? Again, this can be very, very helpful. Again, the attitude of gratitude, as people like to say, the attitude of gratitude leads to a sense of interconnection. It can soften and open the heart and can be very... It's a very simple practice, so I'm, I'm again, inviting, inviting that. <clears throat> this is from uh, Thomas Merton. You know, and I, I was pleased. Uh, last week I was in Kentucky, as I mentioned last week, and I visited uh, the monastery where he was, you know, uh, and um, spent, spent most of the day there at the, at the monastery. And this, was, this is something that Merton wrote about gratitude. <clears throat> and this is in a Christian context. My own personal task is basically to praise God out of an inner center of silence, gratitude, and awareness. This can be realized in a life that apparently accomplishes nothing. He was describing his own life. <laughs> in a life that apparently accomplishes nothing. Without centering on accomplishment or non-accomplishment, my task is simply the breathing of this gratitude from day to day in simplicity, and for the rest, turning my hand to whatever comes, work being part of praise and gratitude, whether splitting logs or writing poems, or best of all, simple notes. So he's talking about gratitude as potentially a companion, an attitude that we can keep with us. This is from uh, a Native American speaking about the uh, Iroquois understanding of of gratitude and and thanks. Giving daily thanks for nature's gifts has always been an important way of living for traditional Native people. The Six Nations of the Haudenosaunee, or Iroquois, who live in New York State and parts of southeastern Canada, expressed their thanks in a recitation known as the Thanksgiving Address. And they sometimes refer to this Thanksgiving as the words that come before all else. Interesting, right? It's spoken at community gatherings, ceremonies, and even at some schools to start the day. So again that sense of gratitude can be more of a daily practice. And just, again, it's to bring one into more awareness of interconnection and cut through what's often our busyness. This is from that that prayer part of it. This is uh, from the uh, part of the prayer in which there is uh, thanks offered to, to plants, to plants that yield food. With one mind, we turn to honor and thank all the food plants we harvest from the garden. Since the beginning of time, the grains, vegetables, beans, and berries have helped the people survive. Many other living things draw strength from them, too. We gather all the plant foods together as one and send them a greeting of thanks. And so we can really see ways to bring in that sense of gratitude. It can be for the different parts of our lives, for our gifts that we've received in our lives, the support, the teachers, the 
support that we've received from family, the positive aspects of our ancestry, you know, our community, Spirit Rock, you know, the land and so forth, the um, gratitude for having, for me, I would say very much for having received these teachings and practices. When I was first practicing, and I, I started when I was pretty young, like in the late 1970s, and I met people who had been very interested in spirituality but had no practices and often had years of five or ten years of being stuck, of not having teachers. I met people like that at times and I feel very grateful to have these teachings, you know, and this opening to to teachings also from other traditions. It's very... um, we, We may take it for granted it didn't exist a short time ago in this way. And the contemplative traditions of uh, Western approaches were very hard to access, you know? I had Jewish friends who, who spent years and years trying to find mystical contemplative teachers and you know, traveled all over the world and finally found them in, you know, in places in Israel, some, some of my friends. But it's not easy. <clears throat> so... So we can um, practice gratitude in those simple ways. Simply bring to mind what's grateful for. You know, the way that I practiced was to draw up a list uh, initially of ten things I was grateful for. Write them down on a piece of paper and then go over them every day. Just for ten minutes and to reflect on them. And I did that once for two years. It was a very simple, beautiful practice it will develop gratitude, or just simply the way that I mentioned earlier, of remembering gratitude a few times. But doing it every day makes a huge difference. It's part of, it's part of things. And there can also even be gratitude for our difficulties, you know, that we can have uh, some gratitude when things aren't as we wish. One of the lessons of our practice, one that we don't always want to remember, is that we learn through difficulties. Or as someone said who used to come here, another effing growth opportunity. <laughs> but it's, uh, we, you know, can you have the perspective in the midst of something difficult, personal or social, This is a learning opportunity. No one's one's nodding one's head. (laughs) But it's possible. This is a, this actually, oh, I had had this cartoon I was going to read. This is a little bit out of place, but I'll read it because I forgot it. But this is, uh, this has to do with the, um, you know, all the guidelines for for generosity. And this is, uh, this is a cartoon that says, it's related to driving generosity. It shows a woman saying, my generosity is reserved for drivers who aren't on their cell phones. <laughs> anyway, in terms of uh, being with difficult experiences, which I think, again, are the, our times and the challenges of our times, certainly, I think, can be helped by at least being open to some gratitude, even when things are difficult. This is a poem uh, called Listen 
by W.S. Merwin. With the night falling, we are saying thank you. We are stopping on the bridge to bow from the railings. We are running out of the glass rooms with our mouths full of food to look at the sky and say thank you. We are standing by the water, looking out in different directions. Back from a series of hospitals, back from a mugging, after funerals, we are saying thank you. After the news of the dead, whether or not we knew them, we are saying thank you. In a culture up to its chin in shame, living in the stench it has chosen, we are saying thank you. Over telephones, we are saying thank you in doorways and in the backs of cars and in elevators remembering wars and the police at the back door and the beatings on stairs, we are saying thank you. In the banks that use us, we are saying thank you. With the crooks in office, with the rich and fashionable unchanged, we go on saying thank you, thank you. With the animals dying around us, a little bit bleak, but... (laughs) But you get the point. Uh, With the animals dying around us, our lost feelings, we are saying thank you. With the forest falling faster than the menace, this is 1988, by the way, uh, of our lives, we are saying thank you. With the words going out like cells of a brain, with the cities growing over us like the earth, we are saying thank you faster and faster. With nobody listening, we are saying thank you. We are saying thank you and waving, dark though it is. So that's a challenge, isn't it? Can you, and I mean, that, that's again, I like to speak about um, giving some quantitative measure to our challenges, and that poem was related on a scale of one to ten to level ten challenges, maybe. But we can work with level five challenges, five on a scale of ten. We can work with other challenges. could be a practice to say every time something challenging occurs, let me see if I can summon gratitude. Kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? Could you see how that could be a very uh, powerful practice, right? To work with gratitude in those kind of situations. <clears throat> so a variety of ways to practice. And then gratitude, I think, is um, not part of the um, traditional set of heart practices that we do, but I think it's very much Something I, I like to join gratitude practice to loving kindness, compassion, joy, equanimity, forgiveness, and other practices. It's part of the part of the set. So I want to invite you to uh, consider cultivating generosity and gratitude for the next week, particularly tomorrow. And I'll end with one of my favorite books. I'll read an entire book to finish. Okay, don't worry. It's short. It's mostly pictures. Okay, this is, this is called St. Francis Preaches to the Birds. Very good book. It's put out by uh, Bread and Puppet Theater. Anyone know Bread and Puppet Theater? In, in Vermont. Pretty amazing. They, they were the people with the 40-foot uh, puppets, originally at demonstrations. And Anyway, I, I used to live in Vermont for a period of time. I used to go to there. They had once a year extravaganzas in which they actually, long before Burning Man, they had a big figure that they used to burn at the end. So I don't know, I don't know about the relation, but that, that's what they did there. Okay, okay, so I'll show you the pictures. 
and I'll, I'll say what it says. So this is uh, about gratitude. I'll close with this. This is St. Francis. It's 5 a.m. Wake up, St. Francis. He opens the window and sings, Tra-la-la. He brushes his teeth and says, Thank you, teeth. He washes his toes and says, Thank you, toes. If you want to repeat, you can do so with me. (laughs) He gets milk. He drinks his coffee and says, Thank you, coffee. He goes through the town, through the the apple orchard, over the pasture and up the hill. The birds and the birds come flying, flying, fly, flying, 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 flying. Then St. Francis preaches to the birds until the sun sets. Yes, until the sun sets. Good night. Thank you. I think at the end, I'll invite us to contemplate, um, maybe even right now, maybe this is a good segue. See if there's um, a practice, maybe one that I mentioned, or one that occurred to you, that you'd like to do for the next week. And it's okay to say just tomorrow, <laughs> or the next few days, but see what, see what calls you. And just take a moment now to see if there's a practice that, that speaks to you. Uh, generosity or gratitude or both. Thank you. We have some time. If there are any uh, reflections, questions, comments, and we'll wait for the uh, microphone to come around. I lived um, recently for a number of years in a Muslim country where, you know, giving was part of the practice of Islam. A little closer to your mouth. And people would ask me for money all the time because they assumed I had a lot more than they did. And I found out that I was much, I liked giving, I liked being generous when it was my idea. <laughs> and I wasn't so great about being generous when someone was asking me. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't my idea. So I think from what you were saying today, I think a lot of that has, has to do with um, being um, not just generosity, but being grateful. Yeah. And so that Examining your motivation was a real, real tough thing for me in that. It was, That's right, not, yeah. it was embarrassing to know that I didn't mm. want to give unless it was my idea. Right. 
Yeah. Well, thank you for that, that story. And I think it points to the way that here we're speaking of generosity and gratitude not as random acts or acts that we do occasionally, but as an ongoing practice. An ongoing practice means we continually see what's there, right? We continually, you know, we, we may want to act in certain ways, but, you know, this is both sort of building a larger sense of community, but it's also about purifying our hearts, right? And so purifying what's there. And so just that continual looking is, it's really what's there in all of our practices. They're designed with mindfulness just to see what's there. And again, to, to do so as much as possible without judging ourselves harshly. What be, being careful for reacting, judging, God, I'm so tight, you know, or something. Um, and, and just trying to take it as a practice without getting stuck in judgment or, or that. And, to, you know, the, the aim is to have that be something that is increasingly uh, right there, you know, in a moment. That's why I, I find the, uh, you know, the driving practice helpful. You know, like I set the intention when I start driving. Okay. Generosity. As I mentioned, I think I've slipped some lately. But, but just to start driving and just think of generosity. That's interesting, right? <clears throat> uh, please. Yeah, we have maybe in the back first and then on the side. <clears throat> this question came up... Um, A little closer? This question came up during the pre-Thanksgiving get-together. Yeah. Someone asked us, uh, I was with my friend, how a Buddhist reacts to the political um, situation today in a mindful manner. And it turned into a discussion of um, Thich Nhat Hanh in, uh, in Vietnam in 1956 and, uh, and ongoing, and then also um, the Theravada Buddhists in Vietnam and how they uh, resisted uh, yeah, yeah. politically and how to do it in, in a Buddhist way. Um. Well, that's a, that's a small topic. <laughs> uh, I think I... It's something I have uh, looked into a lot. I think I mentioned that I have a, a friend who uh, was a Vietnamese monk in Vietnam and active in those movements who later studied with me, and he wrote a PhD dissertation on in the engaged Buddhist movement in Vietnam. right And... Um, and he actually took it back to the year 1000. He showed the, the, actually the uh, long lineage of understanding Buddhist practice in a, in a larger way that was there in Vietnam. Um, and so it sounds like you weren't... Gratitude? Um, maybe not. <laughs> okay. We were a little bit stumped. Yeah, just stumped. Um, yeah, yeah. So if I would give a, I'll try to give a short, a short response. Um, uh, first of all, I think, you know, as we've looked at in the last few weeks, um, this is a high level of challenge, okay, just as it was in Vietnam. And they, you know, you know the, the engaged Buddhist movement in Vietnam began as an anti-colonial 
uh, movement. You know, from my understanding, you know, I, I'm aware of it, you know, going back at least to the 1930s. And it got quite strong in the 1950s and 60s, probably at its pinnacle in the middle, middle 60s. <clears throat> and uh, Thich Nhat Hanh was instrumental in trying to have a very large sense of practice that included the, inner pra- the traditional inner practices and the engagement with the problems of the society. He met with quite a bit of resistance in some of the traditional Buddhist monasteries. At one point, he was actually kicked out. When he was like 19, I think he was kicked out of a monastery. You know, so uh, later things shifted some, but he was in he was uh, kind of marginalized at first, and then thing then things developed further. Uh, but he was trying to have a sense of a really integrated practice that could uh, that could be there in different ways. And you know, so I, I think uh, you know it's pretty well documented in his writings. So, so you could really read a lot. If I had to just say what's the essence of it from my understanding. Um, It was keeping the internal practices going while acting socially in whatever was needed. And what they actually did was all sorts of things. You know, there were refugees. They, uh, they, they, they set up schools. They set up hospitals. They set up uh, places for refugees. And, and they, they established an order, some of you know, called the Tiapian Order, which was, which was late, late, later, in 1964, and they had certain guidelines, which are very much like the Bodhisattva guidelines, and they followed those. And so, but they, but they always combined the, the traditional deep inner practices with acting and tried to integrate them. And they found they needed to articulate certain, um, uh, almost like new principles to make sense of this new approach. So that'd be the, the short version. And, and, but that, uh, that history is, is important to, to know well. Thank you. Um, I was watching a program last night. It was a, about a Thanksgiving get-together and people acting out as families do. And um, one man was dying, and a girl said to him, um, you know, what is it like to die? A little closer to your mouth. Oh. Um, I was watching a program last night, mm-hmm. uh, and it was a Thanksgiving t- dinner and you know everybody was coming you know it was like chaotic and people had their were playing out their own acts and there was one man that was dying he had like three months to live and Mm -hmm. a girl had asked him what is it like to die and um his response really involved what you're talking about gratitude and generosity Mm. and um when he expressed this to this girl she went back in the room with a whole different attitude like yeah. an appreciation of the people there. So um, that struck me. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. How many of you have seen that in being with people who are dying? Yeah. That there often can be that sense of gratitude. I think when, you know, when, obviously, when the heart isn't covered by fear or reactions to pain and so forth, but it's, it's, uh, in my experience, it's, it's uh, common, especially if there's, you know, uh, 
that it's not quite so sudden and if a person is in you know, a decent degree of lucidity. You know, so, um, you know, there can be much more of a sense of the preciousness of every day. You know, and that kind of uh, report can make us ask, how much do I take things for granted? Might gratitude practice help me to take things less for granted about, you know, day-to-day living? Yeah. Thank you. We have time for maybe one or two more. Could be comments, reflections, yeah. questions. I just wanted to share, I was in a lens crafter the other day. And, a little closer. Lens crafter the other day, and um, there was a man in there from the Lions Club picking up discarded um, glasses. And I just thanked him for what he was doing, and he told me that they were getting ready to send 10,000 pairs of glasses to Africa, and they had three optometrists who had volunteered to go down. Yeah. And just the that I was not aware that 10,000 people in Africa are going to be able to see yeah. as a result of their generosity as well as the people who donated used glasses. Yeah. But it's it's... The fact that I wasn't aware of it, it just makes you wonder what else is going on in the world yeah. that you're not aware of, and it just kind of opens your heart. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Maybe time for our last one. Um, what I've found... A little, gives, little closer. What I've found that gives me a great deal of pleasure and gratitude is to make donations anonymously. Yeah. So there's no connection between me and the money. And there's also no solicitations from that person or organization. <laughs> Be- but, I mean, so that enables me to expand my um, recipient um, base. Yeah. So I don't have to keep going back to the same annoying and, and, and they save money too not not sending out um, yeah. solicitations all the time so I am a big proponent of donating anonymously <laughs> yeah that, that's great and really uh, seeing uh, what helps you you know I, I didn't go into so much detail on some of the traditional guidelines for skillful development of generosity um, you know a lot of them do have to do with is there self-image, is there self-aggrandizement? Do I think, oh, I'm so cool, I just gave. And so finding for ourselves, so part of that practice, I think, is pointed to by what you said, that we can notice certain, what, um, material conditioning coming up in giving, and that's why it's a practice, right? It's not simply, oh, I just act, I gave, that's it. It's actually looking at your mind and having it be ongoing. And finding, you know, and you find, well, this is more skillful for me because it uh, doesn't get into so much sense of self about the giving. And, and we each probably can find different ways. And personally, I found that when I give to an organization, I, I get more contact. <laughs> but anyway, that's, I'm sure, anyway, that's, that's uh, uh, another issue. But I think it's that it's, it's actually interesting uh, to look at the, the, the traditional teachings on generosity have, you know, probably at least 10 
things to look at in, in the act of giving to help bring mindfulness, to help see more clearly, and uh, really, really specify uh, also the different kinds of giving. You know, maybe, maybe I'll just close with one reflection, bringing in a little bit of that material related to what you were saying, is that um, traditionally there were three types of generosity. One was giving uh, material objects to people in need. A second was giving uh, fearlessness to people. And that's interesting. I, I can interpret that as relevant um, for Thanksgiving is that I think, it, you know, we, in a sense, if we practice non-reactivity, in a sense, we're giving a gift to others as well. Even though practicing non-reactivity fully can coexist with being reactive sometimes, right? But we're essentially, uh, a lot of the time, you know, we're giving the gift of our being and knowing that in a deep way, people don't have to be afraid of us. At least as long as we don't get triggered in certain ways <laughs> or too much. Uh, but, but there's a way in which if I'm practicing non-reactivity, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm offering something to someone. I mean, we can see that more easily in smaller ways, right? You know, driving, very obvious example. If I'm not reactive when someone cuts me off, uh, I'm, in a sense, giving a small gift to someone. And we can see that in our interactions. And then the, it's said that the greatest gift is the gift uh, of dharma or of, of dhamma in the, in the Pali, that it's the offering of the kind of the opening or the access to our deeper nature, to, to another. And we can do that sometimes by talking, sometimes by just the nature of our being as we practice. Good, so let's again sit quietly to close. I invite you just to invite whatever is present as an intention moving forward from our time together. Maybe related to generosity and gratitude, maybe something totally different that uh, occurred to you that's important for you. And then we close, really, in a a kind of generosity practice called the Dedication of Merit. We close by offering the benefits of our mourning to ourselves, to everyone in this hall, and then beyond these boundaries, to all other beings, ultimately offering the benefits of our practice, of our time, to all beings. and then being grateful to receive their gifts as well. Thank you. And I'll I'll let Sylvia know that many of you will have practiced generosity and gratitude, and she can 
run with that as she wishes. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.